the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Wednesday. It's a baseball episode. Pitchers and catchers officially reported today. Life is back to normal. Not that I won't miss football, but in my line of business, I'll never have to miss football because the NFL offseason is intense. It is 12 months and it is every single day. Derek Carr was released officially. I've got a piece about what his next contract might look like live on spotrad.com. I've got a lot of pieces live between myself and Keith Smith. Uh, there is plenty of content, more content than I think we've ever had on this website. And uh, part of it is that we're just working a little harder. And part of it is there's a lot going on and there's a lot of relevancy and parody and things like that. And there's, you know, the, the amount of NFL teams that I felt I had to write about this year was more than ever. So there's a Chiefs piece, an Eagles piece, a Bills piece, a Rams piece, a 49ers piece. There's plenty of those singular pieces in, in concession with full wide receivers and quarterbacks and running back pieces and, and understanding the NFL dead cap system piece and all sorts of that bubble players. Uh, and then Keith did a really strong article uh, projecting 2023, basically tiers for each team, not, you know, power rankings, but where are they, are they going to fall financially? And what does that mean? Right. There are cap space teams. There are tax teams. There are non taxpayer teams. And wherever you fall, he's not just making these tiers up. Wherever you fall here impacts how you can operate in free agency and what you can do and who you can sign and how much you can spend and all of that. Uh, There are certain thresholds with the NBA that make it very, very complicated. And this is why we brought Keith on board, because he makes the complicated very, very simple uh, if if you just allow yourself to do some reading. So this is a really great way to understand where a lot of these teams are trending now that the trade deadline's done, now that for the most part, it's going to be nickel and dime buyout signings from here out right through June. So start to understand where your team sits, what that might mean for how they can work and operate, and uh, what kind of free agency we might be setting up for here, because there are some names that will be hitting this list that are worth a damn. So Keith's going to keep on that, continue to read his work. Uh, he's at Keith Smith MBA on Twitter. He does all sorts of NBA conversations from game breakdowns to certainly contact contract updates to just answering general questions about the business of basketball. So uh, great follow, great read. Good to have him on board as always. And of course, I'm, uh, I'm not putting the, taking the gas pedal off yet with baseball in terms of the offseason. I did an extension piece last week with Cousin Dan. Uh, we talked about it a little bit here on a couple of shows ago. We're going to come back to that because there's some names that we have to get to uh, and some more of these contracts hitting literally as we speak right now that, and some injury s- discussions that we have to talk about as well. But I think the next thing we'll do, and uh, by the way, we, we sort of get to it here in our conversation with Paul Hembikidis from ESPN. I think we want to talk about win projections next because it's sort of a great way to dive into this offseason and then the regular season and understand who's going to be at the top of this thing. Who's a 90-win team? Who's a 60-win team? Who's got a chance to be at 100 you know, not so much for betting purposes, just to understand who might be the contenders, who might be the players, at least from a preseason perspective. And uh, we can roll in some conversations about buyers and sellers this offseason, who spent the most money, all that good stuff. So I think we'll do our big, basically, offseason, in-season preview on the next episode here. So uh, more baseball coming, certainly more football coming, as next week is franchise tag window week. Plenty of big names to talk about there. I'll proceed that a little bit before we get there. And then we'll talk about what those tags mean, who's uh, possibly going to extend out of them, and who may be traded off their t- their tag situation. That's coming up next week as well. So good reading, good podcasts, uh, 
really proud of the content we have on spotrite.com right now, and we will not stop for sure. As I mentioned already, it's Hembo Day. Pitchers and catchers reporting means I have to talk baseball, and I've had a blast talking with this guy about it for the past couple of years now. So this is maybe his fifth or sixth time in the show. He's a big Philadelphia sports fan, so I waited until the Super Bowl, which I thought was a good gesture. You know, win or lose, there's something to talk about here. So we do talk Philly. We talk Philly football, Philly baseball, and then we zoom out a little bit to the Yankees and the Dodgers and Shohei Otani and some of these rule changes and just how things might be looking a little bit here for the upcoming 2023 season. That's next. All right. You know, Ms. Hembo, producer of Get Up, producer of lots of things, all ESPN. He's back on the show. It's time to talk baseball. How's the, uh, how's the morale, man, Philly sports-wise here? Uh, morale is... <laughs> that depends yeah. on who you ask. So, uh, obviously, the Phillies season culminating in, in a loss in Game 6 of the World Series, I would look back on very positively. Yeah. It was was honestly super unexpected, at least coming from me. The run uh, all the way to the World Series had this sort of magical element, the way that I sort of fell back in 2008, except I don't think this team was even as good as that one. Obviously, to, to lead yourself to win shy of the series is super tough, but sports, uh, like anything in life, is all about expectations. And I think I'll look back on that run very fondly. The Eagles is sort of the inverse of that. This is the best team we've ever had. It is very likely to be the best team we will ever have. We had a 10-point lead at halftime in the Super Bowl, and our defensive coordinator blew it and has since fallen up to become the Arizona Cardinals head coach. And I'd be good and uh, well if I never have to see him again for the rest of my life. And when it comes to the Phillies, you might say hope springs eternal. Um, I like, at least in the short term, what the Phillies did this offseason. We know the division is going to be an absolute meat grinder, but – if you look at the names on the backs of the jerseys and you look at how well this team performed last season under Rob Thompson, there is no obvious reason why they can't, uh, I think, touch 90 wins. I think there's a really good chance they'll be better, a better regular season team than they were a year ago. Um, and I think there's a really good chance that they won't make it as far in the playoffs because that's just how baseball goes. So we could we could talk Sixers, we could talk Flyers, but I, I would say that from where things sit right now, I'm awfully excited to see my boys down in Clearwater and, and to sort of get that, that feeling again. Because once the weather starts to turn a little bit, it's the thing I think about every morning. It's when I turn on the Ken Burns baseball documentary on weekend mornings, and I think of that Rogers Hornsby expression where he just stares out the window and waits for spring. <laughs> yeah, it's not a coincidence that we're doing this when, on the day that pitchers and catchers reported, by the way. That is a exactly. that is not an accident. Um, okay, I think you kind of answered it, but I want to hear you say more cons- you know, p- precisely here. If you had to put money on Eagles or Phillies to get back to where they were last year, which team are you most confident with? Um, that's a good question. I hate binary questions. I ask them all the time on my shows, and yeah. I would answer your question by saying the Eagles because I am more really? – Yes. Uh, I am more um, in favor of their process. It might be easier in baseball to, to repeat merely because it's a little flukier, honestly. And you can, um, you know, a lesser team can get hot for a, for a short period of time and do it. Uh, the Phillies were nowhere near the best team in the National League last year, but we all know where they wound up, of course. Uh, they're going to be the third best team in their division again. It's very difficult for me to see a path in which they catch lightning in a bottle twice. That's the whole point of lightning in a bottle. It doesn't usually strike twice. While the Eagles uh, are concerned, yes, they're probably going to have to pay the quarterback. Yes, they are very likely to have a lesser roster, but... Let's consider the fact that the NFC is not nearly as good mm-hmm. as the AFC is. Let's consider the fact that Jalen Hurts is on, very much on the ascent and has improved every year he's ever played quarterback. So if you're buying that stock, you've made a lot of money. Let's also consider the fact that Howie Roseman, in my judgment, is a Hall of Fame executive. 
that has two first-round draft picks this year that is a cap wizard, and I think the Eagles will probably regress a little bit in the regular season and win, I don't know, 11 or 12 games. But you tell me the team in the NFC, at least as things stand right this second, that you feel better going into next season than this one. San Francisco has no idea what they're doing at quarterback. Dallas knows exactly what they have there, and it's not nearly as good as what we have there. Aaron Rodgers might well not play in the NFC next season. To me, like it's sort of a by-default position uh, that I'm reaching this conclusion. But I think the Eagles and their process is sounder than the Phillies, who have a lot less flexibility, because Dave Dombrowski likes spending like a drunken sailor. And he did. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I know, I know you're thrilled about it. I know you love the Trey Turner signing. You had that one peg from day one. I'll give you all the credit in the world on that one. That just made sense to you. And it does. It's, it's an excellent, excellent cover-up for a lot of holes they had last year, which was if we don't hit the ball out of the ballpark, we're not winning ball games, And that's not a way to be sustainable. You know that. That's why you're saying what you're saying. Uh, but they did address that, right? I mean, they've got some guys now that are, they're going to hit you know, oppo field singles here. And, and I think I like that more about them. And by the way, it's a, it's a still an underrated pitching staff still to this day, the bullpen really didn't get addressed. So I, I guess that's where you have to fall off the cliff here a little bit, but man, 75% of this team is as good as any team in the national league. And, and I, I, I say that having done the homework now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Phillies are loaded. Trey Turner's a stud. I mean, Trey Turner threw his twenties at 300 and averaged for every 162 games he plays. 20 homers and 40 stolen bases. No one in the history of Major League Baseball had ever done those three things. Uh, we're talking about a legitimate star, for sure. The best shortstop we've had since Jimmy Rollins. Uh, Bryce Harper should be back by the All-Star break. You mentioned a starting rotation that is underrated and loaded. Uh, for my money, Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, both top 10 guys. Ranger Suarez, a legit good number three starter. Andrew Painter, the best pitching prospect in all of baseball. And a shaky bullpen, but when you have the kind of starters that the Phillies do, that's something that you can address throughout the season. They're going to be really, really good again. But I'm looking at the Atlanta Braves and New York Mets, and I can, I can see a path by which the Phillies might be better than one of them, I guess. Uh, but it's not a clear one, especially without Bryce Harper for the first half of the season. I mean, we're living in a world in which each of those teams can win 100 games again. The Phillies could get way better and still finish third in their division uh, by a long shot. Yeah, it's completely fair. I, there's a there's a version, and I've said it out loud once already this offseason, there's a version of the Eagles for that for me too, by the way. Um, mm. I'm, I'm ready to... I'm, I'm not ready to give up on this Dallas roster. In fact, I'm I'm pretty confident they're going to be aggressive and that's going to make your network very happy, right? Because <laughs> whenever no Dallas does their spending, there's lots to talk about. Um, and I do think that the regime in New York for, the, for with that Giants roster is going to get some things right this offseason. So I, I think it'll be a little bit more complicated from a simpler term inside that division. And I could see the Phillies and the Eagles having very, very similar 2023s if I'm, if yeah. I'm kind of expanding that out because... There's a lot of loss happening defensively in, in Philadelphia on, on that side of the ball. There's six notable starters probably not coming back, whether it's retirement, age, uh, TJ Edwards just gets overpaid in the market, something like, you know what I mean? Uh, silly things happen. But you're right. They, you've got an owner that, and, and a GM specifically that is creative, will overpay and use cap gymnastics to make it work. He's done it for a long time. And now they've got the optics, right? Now they've got what everybody just saw on live TV, especially when it regards to Jalen Hurts and how attractive that's going to be for a free agent. So I do think you'll see what we just saw with the Phillies, right? Which was these guys came out of nowhere. 
Bryce Harper is that kind of player. He is that alpha dog. You know, I think his interactions in the dugout were everything during that postseason, by the way. <laughs> they were. I mean, I, I I don't hate the guy. I hate the team because I'm a Mets fan. But I, that, mm-hmm. I loved that from a baseball geek perspective. So I, I think they gained a lot of respect is probably the simpler way to say this. Both of those teams in that city from the outside world looking in. But I don't think either of them are champions in 2023. I really don't. And that's I, I know you agree because you're a, you're a realist. Yeah, I'm a realist. The one thing I want to add, and, and follow my logic trail here to see if you agree. I'm very curious. So the reason I'm so confident in the Eagles, at least short-term future, is that when you, when I evaluate the state of an NFL team, in this case my own, but you can also do this for all 32 franchises, I, I like to play like a tentpole exercise. There are There are four people in the organization that matter more than any other. Obviously, it's the starting quarterback, the head coach, the general manager, and the owner. And if you were to score or grade, if you will, each of the four that the Eagles have, I'm not sure that you wouldn't come up with a higher number when doing that exercise than you would any other team in the, in the whole league. And that's why I'm so confident in the sustainability of the Eagles. They're going four for four right now. Jeffrey Lurie is an underrated great owner. Howie Roseman has built two NFC championship teams over the course of uh, six, uh, six seasons with totally different rosters. Nick Sirianni, now in his second year and only two years in Philadelphia, took a massive leap forward and seemingly has that sort of ability to adapt and mold his uh, scheme and also uh, his temperament around whatever his team wants, which is an extremely valuable skill. And Jalen Hurts is a freaking superstar. And that, and none of those things were guaranteed. Like Howie Roseman was working in a closet uh, seven years ago. Nick Sirianni was someone I had to Google when the Eagles hired him. And Jalen Hurts was a very unpopular pick at the time. The Eagles get all the big things right. And that's why I'm so confident in at least their short-term future. I love it. All right. A couple of quick things, just, uh, you know, zooming out a little bit here. Did the Dodgers do enough to remain sustainable this year? Or do you think that their financial decisions, which is in that they're not spending and it's to get themselves under tax and reset that process. Do you think that's going to literally hurt them in 2023 specifically? Uh, yes, it is going to hurt them this season specifically, but even so, I just actually sent Buster my, my win totals for all 30 teams as he asks for every year. Mm-hmm. I have the Dodgers pegged at 96 wins. Oh, my um, God. Listen, th- th- this team was historically great last year. Yeah. So, like, we're, that is a massive drop from, from, from where they just were. I mean, this was one of the, one of the best uh, regular season teams in the history of the National League a year ago. So, like, that, like, the Dodgers can regress a lot and still be the best team in, best team in their division, maybe even by a handful of games. I, I think San Diego's good. But the Dodgers' process is beyond reproach, and for all they may have lost, they're better at anybody than anybody at at fostering uh, pitching. I think they're going to score enough runs, and I think Freddie Freeman has a chance to win the MVP of the league, of course, because the shift restriction is going to help him as much as it helps anybody. He's going to he's going to hit 350 this year. Uh, that team's going to be great. Who are we kidding though? The Dodgers don't care at all about what happens this year. They don't even win the World Series when they have the best team almost all the time. The Dodgers are going to put all of their eggs in Shohei Otani's basket, That's and right. if they wind up. And if they wind up finishing second in the National League East for one year and the sacrifice they have to make for signing Otani to a $600 million contract next winter, I think Andrew Friedman, frankly, would sign up for that. The Dodgers are going to win the National League West, I think. If not, they're certainly going to make the playoffs. That's not going to make them much less likely to win the championship, as we know, based upon all the recent evidence when it comes to their playoff failures. And I think they're going to wind up landing Otani or at least being in the running with the Mets as like the two teams that probably have the best chance to do so. You know, I've read quite a bit about the correlation between what the Rams were the past two seasons versus what the Dodgers might be last year versus this year. And I don't buy it. And this is no. why I don't buy it. You you can look at just if you just look at my free agent page. Right. And 
look at the players they lost and then do 10 minutes of research to understand how they're going to replace those players. Not only are they already replaced, Pembo, they were in the system already. <laughs> These guys, they didn't have to go out and sign somebody to replace Justin Turner or sign somebody to put... They, they didn't replace... They already had the plan 18 months ago. And to lose Trey Turner is a big piece, except for he wasn't a big piece of that Dodgers lineup. He was just a piece. He was an above-average piece. They had plenty of other talent around him. So I just think... Kind of like how we've seen with Houston, right? Houston loses one big name every year, and then they round back into form. It feels like the Chiefs a little bit, right? That's that's the Astros and the Chiefs seem to be on the same parallel path for me in that they understand what they can give up because they understand how they've budgeted and built two years prior to get to this point. So I, I, I agree with you. And in fact, they could probably win only 90 and be in this conversation because I think there's a lot of things that could go wrong out West this year, especially with that angels team. And, uh, and then, then it gets volatile, right? If, if Otani starts mm-hmm. getting talked about around that deadline and these Dodgers are sitting here, right. Projecting to 89, 91 wins and they know what's coming. Look out because they've got, they've got six prospects sitting there ready to be traded and they know exactly when the timing is going to be right to strike. So I'm with you. Uh, they, they aren't going to have to do much. I'm not worried that they kind of sat on their hands this offseason. It was calculated and they had every single entity replaced. So they're, they're going to be solid. They're not going to be historic, which is a great way to put it. As you said, they, they were historic last year. So the fall from grace isn't going to be that much. The Dodgers last year won 111 games and outperformed their run and, and, and their run differential was equivalent to that of a 116 win team. They were worth, they, they were, they, they want, they won that many games and were even worse than they should have been. In other words, uh, that team was absolutely stacked. And even if they lose 15 fewer games, they'll breeze into the playoffs and, with flying colors, and they'll put all their eggs in that Otani basket. One thing I want to add with, uh, with the Otani thing, if they do wind up trading him, that's going to be a package deal. Whatever team is going to be willing to absorb the entirety of the Anthony Rendon contract, they're going to be on the hook for that mm-hmm. and maybe other stuff, and maybe other stuff too. Well, guess what? They need a third baseman. So, mm-hmm. so they're ready for that too. Um, one more team. We heard news today about Frankie Montas in New York. We had this exact conversation last offseason. I think this exact last time of year. Um, I, I mean, the Yankees look good. They look good to me. They don't look great. They don't look like a 100-win team. And certainly, they blew me out of the water last year with their historic April and May or whatever that was. I, I, are they there? Are they that same kind of team, especially with Toronto ticking up, Tampa Bay Dean Tampa, Baltimore starting to finally figure some things out? I mean, are, are they that kind of team still, or am I just not reading this right? Well, the division is loaded. I had the Yankees in, I have the Yankees in 94 wins. That's my number for them. I have that as being four wins better than Toronto, who finishes second. That, that's the kind of split that I see right now. Uh, they're going to be good. Like we, The Yankees, Like for all of Brian Cashman's Flaws. I, I, frankly, I think many of those are sort of overamplified just because of the market and the mm-hmm. and the and the crankiness of the fan base. But what he does really well is build good teams year over year, and there's something to be said for that. If he were fired, he would be hired the very next day to be the GM of a different baseball team. He's really good at his job, but they've not built a lot of great baseball teams, obviously, and have not even really uh, approached the top of the mountain since 2009. So my my personal favorite nine figure signing of the, of the whole offseason, believe it or not with the Carlos Rodon signing. I thought six for 162 for Rodon could make an enormous difference for the Yankees. I do not think they're going to win more games than Houston, but Carlos Rodon is, the, is, is, is a person who can be the reason you win a playoff series that you would not otherwise. Look at, look, look at the teams that reached the World Series just last year. I don't like using anecdotal, anecdotal examples to prove points or disprove points, 
But both of those teams had horses in the starting rotation that could give you high-quality innings in the playoff. The Yankees don't even have one of those guys right now because Garrett Cole isn't quite the one they thought they were signing up for. But the combination thereof gives them so much more margin for error. And I'm not convinced that Carlos Rodon is not a top-five pitcher in the sport right now. So to answer your question in a roundabout way, I think the Yankees—excuse uh, me—I think the Yankees are going to win fewer games than they did last season. But I think they are more equipped to upset Houston in a playoff series because they added Carlos Rodon and because Houston subtracted Justin Verlander. It's well said. I got two more questions, and they are opposites. Ready? We talked about this mm. before, but now that it's here and it's real, and we're going to start to see it implemented, what is the rule change in Major League Baseball you're looking forward to the most? Oh my goodness. I, I think the one I'm looking forward to the most is the pitch timer because yeah. like if you watch watch a college basketball game, like I love the the home I love the home crowd like doing the, the, the clock earlier than it expires so that the <laughs> visiting team like throws up a three with eight seconds left on the shot clock. Like there's there's definitely going to be like high intense like playoff moments with forty thousand people doing that. And I'm really into that. Not just that though. Uh, the, the amount that it's going to increase the running game in baseball, obviously, is something we're all fascinated to see. I'm not sure you're going to see the kind of like on balance numbers in, like increase the way that some might suspect, but I do think that you'll see individual players with like say that say that we're maybe at the break even point previously, especially now with the bigger bases, be able to run a lot more frequently and like hit the high side of variance there. For example, like. You might see Bobby Witt steal 50 bases. You might steal Trey Turner steal 40 bases. Like those are real things. Like when you consider the fact that all the minor league data that they have say you're going to steal more bases and with more frequency and with those larger bases added to the mix as well. Like those are the two things that I would say more than anything else. I'm super excited just to see like there's always unintended consequences with stuff. But all the data we have says if you're a team that has built your lineup around good athletes and good up the middle defense, like these changes are for you. And I'm curious to see who's sort of ahead of the curve there. And if you've built your team with a bunch of sort of slow boppers, like you're going to have to be even better at that in order to be as great as you once were. And that's a really hard thing to duplicate if, if you just can't make consistent contact, especially in the postseason. So that's why the Trey Turner signing in the short term, just to go back to my hometown team, makes an awful lot of sense because he's the kind of player you want to be investing in with these rules changes. Yeah, I... I... In combination, right? The timer plus the throwover rules and the mm -hmm. limits on those. I, I'm just dying for it to bring back small ball. I think that's what you're saying too. I, I just want teams to want to have to hit singles and want to go opposite field and hit and hit and run first to third. And uh, that that's what I want to see most of all because a game that is just sit up there and try to hit it out of the ballpark, as we know, it's just not working anymore. It was great as a flash in the pan. It's not sustainable from a fan base. You lose a fan base that way because it's just a boomer bust situation. What about, what, what are you terrified of? You know, I don't think it's the base sizes, right? Nobody really cares about the base sizes so much, but what, what is it? What rule do you think is going to be a complete flop out here? Well, I don't think that I'm at, believe it or not, I'm on board with all the things that Theo is doing because like, even though I might not agree with all of them, like personally, I think each and every one of them could be – you could easily justify as good for the game overall, the, good, the game globally, the, the average fan, the, the casual fan. That, that's the thing that I have to give him a lot of credit for. Like he has made – he's going to be the most important like non-player of my baseball lifetime. I mean the combination of yep. the two curses that he broke as a GM and all this stuff, uh, that guy's on the fast track, track to the Hall of Fame. The th I'll answer your question two different ways. Number one, we know it's coming. 
But the robo-umps are going to change. And this is not this year right now. This is in AAA only. I want to make clear. Mm -hmm. But the robo-umps are going to change baseball in a more fundamental way than any sport has seen a change since we added a three-point line in the NBA. Since 1869, a human being has been calling balls and strikes in a baseball game. Since 1869, it's mattered how well you can frame a pitch, how well a pitcher can, can, can nibble the plate. We're never going to see a really good pitch framer anymore. We're never going to see the potential for a Greg Maddox anymore. We're, we're not going to have the kind of interplay between a manager and a pitcher and a catcher and a and 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 all the characters, right? That that go into this into this drama that we have loved so dearly. Uh, I'm not sure that's a good thing. Like sometimes uh, the human error um, is a feature, and it's not a bug. And while I, I support the idea of using technology, if we can get something right 100% of the time, and while young people will probably uh, laugh at us that we ever liked the fact that a human being got the opportunity to subjectively call balls and strikes, that there's going to be something about baseball uh, that will die a little, a little bit for me inside because that's the baseball that I grew up knowing and loving. That's the kind of change that's going to take a lot longer, I think, to really set in than I might realize. And while it's still years down the pike, it, there's a 100% chance that if the technology is there, it's going to come. And it's going to be yet another thing they do to infuse uh, offense into baseball. And just real quickly, because I'm on this tangent now, any change that we're going to see here is going to be met with a lot of begrudging yeah. uh, current active players. Like they're the worst people to ask about whether or not these are good or bad things, because these are creatures of habit that have grown up playing baseball a certain way. They don't matter at all. Like their their opinion is less valid than anyone else's. What matters is is if, if you're doing things to grow the game of baseball, the, the the people that are in the minor leagues right now, amateur players, high school players, college players, fans, those are all the ones that matter. The current players are just going to have to capitulate. It's going to get probably pretty ugly, and you'll probably see some guys ejected early in the season that are super you know cantankerous about all these things that are being enforced. <laughs> but I'm here for it. Like, I, I'm 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 ready to see at least what baseball looks like, and I give Theo Epstein and, and company a lot of credit for at least trying. Because there's a lot of things that you could fix in any number of sports, and they're not even trying to do it. At least baseball is trying to fix what ails it. I can't argue with that. I'm not even. I, I, I'm totally with you. I'm going to give it a chance. I really am, and I think that there's a way to do it and, and implement the robo umps that still looks and feels like it does right now. You know what I mean? Like if it, mm -hmm. if these guys can figure out how to get that signal, I'm talking about the umpire, obviously get the signal, make the call and make it look just like it does now. And, you know, maybe there's a point in time where the ump goes to call a strike and then he gets an ear, earful that says it's a ball. And, you know, maybe we have that kind of controversy, but but I, I, I'm willing to let it play out a little bit. And I'm certainly going to go to my, my share of AAA games this year to see yeah. how it all works there. But um, real quick, the, the, the ghost runner stuff, the overtime stuff, the extra innings as a producer of a show that has to, you know, start at 7 a.m. Eastern uh, yeah. and with a 162 game schedule. Are, are you going to miss 16 inning games as, as at least a way to get baseball in the conversation? Cause I feel like that had to be a big part of it. Uh, <laughs> right? uh, the, yes. But, but my answer is not really um, because we always one of these people who, you know, held at the moon when they created this, you know, when they created the ghost runner rule, it was my opinion that they might as well just require everyone to share water ice after the game because fun was had by all. It's just so hokey to me. But this was passed unanimously by the Joint Competition Committee. Like, this is obviously something that everyone wants except me. And after a little while, like everything else, you sort of realize, oh, this isn't going to end or ruin my life, right? Like, the, the, the marathon of a baseball game, I think, was once a charming thing. I'm not sure that it is anymore. Like, we as a society, I think, have moved past that. I don't know if anyone's dying to stay to a baseball game so much longer. Like, my preference would be they, they did not do that. We're talking about a negligible amount of difference, to be, all, to be honest with you. But I do think that the idea of player safety and the idea of having to blow out your entire pitching staff to throw, you know, uh, to, you know, to throw 16, 17, 18 innings on a Wednesday on a getaway day or something to that effect 
at least you can construct that argument soundly. But honestly, this sort of turned out to be a nothing burger for me, even though at the time they announced it, I was outraged by it like every other baseball traditionalist. Well, the next time we talk, and it'll be sooner rather than later, is it more likely that we're talking about how the Phillies are for real or that the Mets spending was a disaster? Uh, well, it's a good, it's a good question. Um, I think B would be the answer to that question, just because there's, there's definitely some risk there. Not, I don't think that uncle, like, un- I don't think that uncle Steve will care nearly as much about uh, some cost as uh, anybody else. Um, but, but look, you could, you could definitely see a world in which the Mets um, spending could definitely backfire. Like the, I mean, first of all, to, 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 to give all those homegrown players like top of the market, yeah. 120 cents on the dollar free agent contracts, uh, I think was questionable. When you build a, a really old baseball team and you don't have the benefit of performance enhancing drugs that are not being tested for, like baseball is a young man's game again. And I don't have a lot of good data to back this up top of head, but I'm not sure that the way that the Mets are doing it is nearly as shrewd or as smart as the way Atlanta is. There's nothing more valorous about the way that Atlanta is. But there's definitely something a lot more predictable and sustainable because baseball, generally speaking, is a sport that was conceived by uh, to be played by young people. Um, and now that we don't have uh, PEDs in the game anymore, uh, generally speaking, players aren't uh, peaking at 38 years old. Um, now, obviously, there are exceptions to every rule. And the Mets have a lot of exceptions to the rule. Uh, but you wonder over the course of time if that strategy uh, you know, sort of deteriorates the quality of your roster especially if you don't have the kids in the system to bring up. Now they do have some really nice young players, um, but I could see some of the, some of the moves uh, definitely backfiring, but you, you know, like honestly, he just might be able to spend his way out of it. I'm just banking on it's Brady going to Tampa. Just give me one and then we can get the heck out of this thing. Right. But, <laughs> Cause it's not sustainable, but just give me Brady going to Tampa and then I'll sit back and watch baseball and relax a little bit. But that's what I'm banking on. Good to talk to you, man. Let's talk soon. You're a good man. Always great to have Hembo on. Always good to be talking baseball, especially with somebody who loves it as much as I do. I think maybe with that Ken Burns stuff, he uh, he maybe tops me with some of this baseball nerdiness. That's that's pretty good stuff. Um, I do not find myself sitting there staring at the Ken Burns baseball documentary too often, so I will uh, remove myself from that. But I give him all the credit in the world for it. You know, maybe that's the difference between a Philly fan and a Mets fan. But we'll, see, we'll certainly see how that plays off in the next couple of months here. Good to have Hembo back. We'll have more baseball talk with Cousin Dan soon. Like I said, we'll probably do our win, our over-under conversation wrapped into our off-season, in-season conversations about which teams are actually going to be worth a damn here coming up here for the next eight months. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast.